Movine, a contemporary ghost story written and narrated by Roy Baldwin. Chapter 6 Back in the garden centre and the weather was beginning to change. The wind whipping up sharply and darkening clouds were beginning to scud along the horizon. Victoria was quietly perusing the variegated white, yellow and purple water lilies for sale in the tub alongside a range of peculiarly shaped grey, shiny fibreglass pond moulds and trying to imagine the former floating in the latter. She sauntered back to Abby, who was finishing off the contents of a very large teapot under the trellis canopy with sweet peas climbing up of the outdoor cafe area. I've only just realised how much tea you can happily consume in a day, Victoria commentated. I love tea, Abby replied, slurping down the final dregs in her pink spotted green mug. What is in that envelope you were handed out on way out? Victoria slowly fished inside the contents of her handbag, getting frustrated with finding everything else as she started loading two phones, lipstick, packets of tissues, sweets, pens and a red leather purse onto the table. Abby watched, amused at the ever-growing pile of stuff, when finally Victoria found it. Inside were a couple of faded sepia photographs of her pharmacy grandparents, taken by the look of the dress around the turn of the century, when they had probably only just got married. In the first picture, her seated grandmother, wearing a pretty white blouse and dark skirt, had her dark hair pinned up. They both looked stern, but she was very attractive. Her grandfather, stylishly dressed in a dark tailored jacket, buttoned at the top, white high neck collared shirt and matching tie, stood with one arm around her shoulder and his other arm posed behind his back like a wine waiter. They looked up and coming, the epitome of educated professionals. Those strong Mackenzie features with the sharp stir, oval face and prominent nose were very evident in his face, sporting a fashionable moustache uplifted at the ends and a thick head of dark swept back hair. Oddly, her father had quite weak features in comparison, although his eyes also had shown that same stir, which of course she, Victoria, along with Evelyn, maintained. Gosh, your granddad was very fanciable in those days. I could have. Mmm, I'm sure. Oh my goodness, just look at this other picture. They both giggled at a grandmother in a long dress down to her ankles and a Sunday bonnet perched on the seat of a strange riding contraption and holding a pair of levers, her grandfather sitting behind. The photo was taken outside of Osbrick Hall the imposing frontage rearing up behind them. A small wheel at the front and a slightly larger one at the back supported the frame with two large penny farthing type wheels on an axle either side of them, like some kind of original tandem cycle. Listen, Abby Bian, I'm going to make a suggestion. You've had the most mind-blowing revelations thrown at you today and you look totally whacked out. How long do we have the beast 
because I suggest you come back to see Orsbrick Hall tomorrow or maybe the day after even. The house has been standing for over 300 years, so another day or two isn't going to make much difference, is it? You need to reflect properly and go in a fresh state of mind. What do you think? Victoria pondered, fingering the cigarette case in her hand lovingly. I agree, you're right. I could do the change of mind for a bit and let this lot sink in more. We have the beast for the whole week. Remember, it's really a Ford Fiesta. Super, because for today's evening entertainment, I would like you to come and meet my younger brother Edward and his wacky girlfriend Elena. They've just bought a little semi on a new estate in Wigan and he's invited us to tea, knowing I was over from Holland. Not far. I'll drive and I don't want a drink for a change so you can have a celebratory sozzle and I'll get us back to Liverpool later. Most of the journey is my motorway. Victoria laughed. Okay, why not? Let's head for Wigan Pier then or wherever, feeling as surreal as the book. Within 20 minutes, they were standing on the pavement outside of a brand new but box-like semi-detached house at the edge of a small new housing estate built in a space probably created from demolition, looking at the other properties nearby. Abby immediately thought of Aunt Evelyn and her description of 40s period Liverpool and the post-war reconstruction efforts. Abby began to whisper, Before I forget, they both work for the local Labour Party, did social services degrees, and Eleanor is a hardened Marxist, so whatever you do, don't get into politics, especially with your views on the shrunken state and business enterprise. They do have a two-year-old, so you can talk babies instead. I don't have a big repertoire on babies. What about science? As long as you don't bring up how bad the NHS medical system is and that Holland is much better because we pay for it. How come you know all my favourite party lines? This isn't a party. Hey, stick to music. Both Edward and Eleanor are big rock fans. The heavier the better. Now you're talking, Dr Weston. I can provide an uplifting analysis of Johnny Winter and the Chicago Blues Movement. Whilst Abby did a flash tour with her brother of the house just about large enough to swing a cat in, Victoria listened with as much intense enthusiasm as she could muster, biting her lip to Eleanor's diatribes about wanting to pump even more money into the welfare state, as too many unemployed people were not having the quality of life that the state should support. But once Abby returned, they got into the commercial success and fantastic sound of Metallica. The atmosphere and conversation turned very convivial for Victoria, now holding centre stage as they all supped wine and nibbled a plate of nuts. Although she was severely struggling with the vivid spectrum disconnect between Abby's bright pink spiky punk mop and the tightly trimmed orange curls of Eleanor, who spoke with an extremely tricky to understand thick Glaswegian accent. Jake is fast asleep now for the night, thank Christ, but we have a bit of a problem sis. Edward suddenly proffered in the middle of a track-by-track track dissection of Scher's last album. The oven's sort of packed in, so the roast pork, 
Now, I know you love a big slab of meat. It's still sat on the draining board. Abby looked quite crestfallen. But, he continued, the good news is there's a brilliant chippy round the corner that does real pucker pies, and it's just opened. Victoria interrupted. Absolutely no problem. Abby and I will go, and this is on me, I insist. Can I get another bottle of wine there too? What, in a chippy? Edward uttered, perplexed. What she means, thickhead, is Joe the wino's shop next door, Eleanor interjected, gripping the couch tightly. Yes, let's get a couple of bottles. I'll come with you, Vicky. These two look like they need to talk families. I'll just get my coat. Grinning at Abby, Victoria made her way out with Eleanor, down the road, then across into an old, dingy Victorian terrace street. They walked past the front windows of long rows of two up and two down tiny abodes, which once must have housed the endlessly large families of cotton workers, crammed together in appalling conditions, probably all the kids sleeping top and tail. It was the same where she was brought up near Bursco, where lots of similar houses and tiny cottages were occupied by boat people. They could see the bright lights of a couple of shops further down. It was crowded inside initially and getting dark as Victoria and Eleanor shuffled slowly up the queue which began to thin out as they got to the front. Victoria began to peruse the menu, pondering and then started rummaging again in her handbag, this time for a purse which had disappeared into the depths of detritus. She could feel Eleanor's coat rustling against her leg. This damn bag, Eleanor, I can never find what I want, she started to say, turning around casually. But immediately she stopped, and an icy deep cold flowed from the top of her head right down to the tips of her toes in a microsecond. It wasn't Eleanor's coat flapping against her calf, but a dark brown crinoline dress, all bunched out at the bottom. The woman was there, standing right next to her, wearing a matching coloured jacket, but still with that bright purple shawl wrapped around her head. She smiled, a warm and genuine, even happy smile, quite unlike the pained and contorted expression before, her face now more visible behind that shawl. And those eyes and mouth and that look and the shape of her face which Victoria could see clearly and unmistakably for the first time so close up. It was like looking at her sister, if she had one. Victoria was speechless. Nobody around was batting an eyelid as the woman grinned and pointed to the fish menu and the cod and then to the bread and butter. Victoria began to feel dizzy. The room was spinning oddly and everything was hazy all she saw through a cloud and murky light on the board was the figure ninepence. Was it four pies and chips, love? You said, the man behind the counter shouted over the clattering and din in the shop. I didn't quite hear you. Her brain jolted and her vision suddenly sharpened back to life as she turned to see Eleanor standing next to her, large as life. Sorry, Vicky. I just popped outside to get Briggin Stone out my shoe.
What was it again, love? She heard again, his loud tone indicating the onset of irritability. I I'm sorry, uh, can you make that three pies with chips and gravy and one cod instead with mushy peas and chips? Oh, and I'll have the portion of bread and butter and a tea, please. No problem, he replied, as his assistant began putting the hot food into bags. Vicky, why do you want a tea? Oh, uh, well, it's sort of all in, isn't it? I'm so used to that in Rotterdam. Aye, of course. Tell you what, there's a funny paraffin smell in here, isn't there? Hey, Jimmy! Eleanor shouted over the counter to the fryer in the back. Isn't it time you changed your fat, especially with these prices you charge? You're a cheeky monkey, aren't you? He shouted back, laughing, obviously used to Eleanor's Scottish humour. Only best sunflower oil in here, not like that old beef-dripping lard they used to use the chips in hundred years ago. Do you know you could buy the all-in-one meal your friends ordered for just ninepence then? Yeah, and you've added a thousand percentage inflation yearly on since then. No wonder you have that murk outside and not a horse and cart. The shop roared laughing. Victoria just blinked dumb as Eleanor took the order bag and she handed over a £20 note. I'll just quickly grab two bottles of red from Joe's next door. You've been very quiet. So when did you meet with the ex-members of Cream then? Edwards slurred towards Victoria as they worked their way through the second bottle of 15% Chilean red wine. Oh, what did you say, Edwards? I can't really remember. You mean gingery, Eric? Victoria slurred back, wishing the world would stay in a permanent haze of drunken light-heartedness because she always got wittier when she was pissed and bad memories were drowned out. Actually, Edward, I think Victoria and I should be heading back to Liverpool now. Abby suddenly chipped in, not having had a drop of alcohol and feeling a definite big beast aversion to the notion despite being a bad miscreant in the past. She's very tired. We've had a long business day, haven't we, Victoria? And she's not the only one. They all turned to see Eleanor slumped, eyes closed on the couch and out for the count. It's been a great evening, Edward. You stay there, Chuck. We can see ourselves out. I'll ring you too soon tomorrow. OK. Coming, Vicky. Yes, so she mumbled as Abby ignominiously hauled her up from the comfortable armchair out of a distinctly slumped for the night position and they headed to the door with a departing wave from her brother. Can we stop at the next service station please because I could really do with the pee, Victoria croaked. Her voice oddly hoarse as she swigged a bottle of welcome cold water down. Yes, in three miles, hope you can last. The beast won't like it if you unload over his posh leather seats. Tell me something, why did you order fish, chips, peas and that bread and butter and even a plastic tea? You missed out on a real pucker pie. That wasn't like you. Because you told, she told me to. 
and it was absolutely delicious, just as she said, great value for ninepence. Abby looked across and said nothing for a minute as they began to draw near to the service station entrance. She parked as near to the building as possible. Wasn't Eleanor who told you, was it? No. You saw her again, didn't you? What, in the fish and ship shop? I don't believe it. Out with it then and I'll let you go. It wasn't quite like that. She didn't speak, just pointed at the menu and smiled. Really grinned like she was having fun. She relayed the rest of what she could remember and Eleanor's quips about the bad fat, making Abby roar with laughter. Honestly, I can just see the tabloid headline, I fed a ghost in a chippy. It can only happen to you. We have some serious work to do, and I need to get back to the central library as well, and follow up some things. I feel so much more, what's the word, empowered, no confident, since we met Evelyn. A mountain of stuff to research there. A ghost? Do you really think that? I've never believed in ghosts. They make no scientific or logical sense to me in a rational universe. Are you sure, so sure, the universe is so rational? Open mind, yes, especially after your monster family learning session with Aunt Evelyn. Yes, I promised, and I'm going to stick to it. But whatever, the woman looked somewhat happier than in the back of the beast. But what was so eerie, Abby? was the resemblance, like she was my kid's sister or something. Maybe she knows we're taking over Orsbrick Hall. Good heavens, but I suppose... Suddenly, Victoria's mobile phone began ringing as she fumbled in her bag again, this accessory now top of her list for a definitive style change and soon. She peered down at the screen, not recognising the number and put it to her ear. Hello. Why, Julian, how lovely for you to call. No, I'm not in Liverpool right now. What? Am I doing anything tomorrow? Excuse me, Abby, she mouthed, and opened the door, diving out quickly towards the service station cafeteria with a quick smirk, at Abby gesticulating wildly for her to come back so she could hear what was going on. She met Abby coming into the toilets as she was going out. Well, Abby said, her arms folded. Er, uh, mm, slight change of plan tomorrow. Julian has just come back from London, wondered if I was doing anything as he was taking a day off writing, having slogged his guts out, doing some deep research into Sherlock Holmes and... I think I get picture, Dr Mackenzie. Abby sharply inter interrupted and then changed her shamanoid look to a laugh. Anticipating that your wanton woman hormones were firing up, the moment you said Julian, I decided to phone Linton, who was having an evening at home. Perusing his etchings? No, but he's actually bringing some into town tomorrow. Asked me to lunch as he would value my opinion, because he was meeting a very important client next week, and would like... OK, Dr Weston... My turn for synthesising the wild data pouring forth from your trembling body and also getting the picture. Hmm, fun, isn't it? Can't waste a good opportunity, can we? 
They hugged and laughed. No, Abby replied. I think it's good for you to do something different anyway, before we head to that new house of yours. I reckon it's a bit bigger than my brother's pad, don't you? As they walked back to the beast, Victoria became pensive, turning to Abby. Actually, uh, Julian, well, he's a bit older than me. Abby turned sharply, particularly inquisitive, having been fed a continued diet of toy boy one-night stands from her friend for the last 15 months. How much older? Uh, he's 53, but he doesn't look it, and he's fit for his age. Abby frowned playfully. Not an older man at long last, Vicky, really. So have you wondered what it will be like when... Don't you dare start on that track, Dr Weston, as if... She immediately interrupted with a telltale smirk. Maybe it does run in the family after all, she thought to herself. They jumped in and shot off into the night, and back to the Adelphi, singing Maggie May. End of chapter.